Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. This is the breaking news. We do want to turn back to the breaking news out of Russia. Within the last hour, President Putin has been giving a national televised address to the Russian people. Listen. Well, the U.S. has constantly been saying, look, Russia aims to set a pretext for war, right? So they're not just going to go in. They've not, they need to basically make a case to their public that, oh, we're going in for a specific reason. On Monday, President Putin provided that reason in an address to the nation that we're going to dive into today and give you the latest on where Putin's actions toward Ukraine are at. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And this is Alex Ward. National security reporter at Politico and also the anchor of our national security daily newsletter and at the moment perennial Ukraine-Russia watcher. Today... Russia has been steadily increasing misinformation efforts showing Ukrainian aggression toward their forces. Even dictators have politics too, right? (laughs) And body bags going back to Russia does not look good for Putin. So he has to make a case for why there will be Russian body bags going back. And the case that they're making is that these republics, so-called republics, are under threat, that the Ukrainian military is attacking them and that they need to be protected. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it seems very slapdash. Like, usually Russian misinformation is better than this. Uh, but it almost feels like they're rushing to get this stuff out to set the pretext for Putin to go in. After I talked with Alex late on Monday afternoon, the UN Security Council convened an emergency meeting late on Monday night to discuss Russia's actions, and the White House released a statement saying that they would announce new sanctions against Russia today in coordination with allies. I talked with Alex over Slack about the meeting, and he said a lot of the statements made by the ambassadors to the UN showed a Russia that is isolated on the world stage. Like this statement from U.S. Ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. In essence, Putin wants the world to travel back in time, to a time before the United Nations, to a time when empires ruled the world. But the rest of the world has moved forward. It is not 1919. It is 2022. And this one from the UK permanent representative to the UN, Barbara Woodward. Russia has brought us to the brink. We urge Russia to step back. And this one from the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN, Sergei Kislyta. We are on our land. We are not afraid of anything or anyone. We owe nothing to anyone. And we will not give away anything to anyone. But let's go back to earlier Monday and the event that escalated the situation further in the first place. After a steady stream of Russian misinformation over the weekend, Putin gave an address to the nation on Monday. Alex, what did he say? He did one main thing, which was say he would recognize two so-called people's republics that are Russia-friendly and Russia-backed as independent states. So in 2014, two of these places, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic in the eastern Donbass region of Ukraine, said that they were independent nations after they had come in and invaded Ukraine. And they had long wanted this recognition. No country recognizes them. But Putin's lower house of parliament in the Duma said, hey, guy, 
please recognize these places. And he's kept it in his back pocket sort of to use as a pretext whenever he wanted to launch an invasion. Mm. So in the speech, which followed this really weird cabinet meeting with security officials who all said the thing he wanted them them to say, um, he went ahead and recognized them, which is a massive step because it violates years of negotiations over, you know, how to actually deal with them that Russia and Ukraine and other countries have been talking about for a while. That didn't necessarily amount to like, we are going in immediately. It just meant for him that, okay, if I recognize these places, I now have the pretext to launch an invasion by saying I'm going to send a peacekeeping force or something by actually going in there. Mm -hmm. So here's the logic train from Putin. Overall in his speech, he said, Ukraine, the Soviet Union created Ukraine. It is a part of Russia. These people's republics, quote unquote, very so-called, right? They believe that they are part of Russia. Putin is now saying they are independent and also, in effect, part of Russia, which, of course, is contradictory. So therefore, since Putin also claims, as part of the misinformation campaign, that Ukraine is attacking those regions, he can now go in and defend those regions because they are Russian independent territories. So that is the logic train from, like, they are not part of Ukraine, they are part of Russia, or independent Russian-speaking places, under attack. Therefore, I, as a protector of all Russians, can go defend them. And on Sunday, Belarus announced that they would allow Russian troops to do training exercises and have those troops remain in Russia. How related is that? The Belarus exercise that was supposed to end February 20th, so Sunday. Leading up to that, Belarusian Russian officials kept saying, absolutely, you will not see one service member, not one piece of equipment left in Belarus after that. Shockingly, on February 20th, we hear, um, actually, we're going to stay. Um, the Russians are allowed to remain indefinitely. The only people that can say they can go are Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, and Alexander Lukashenko, the president of Belarus. There's no indication they're going to leave. The reason this matters is twofold. One, it is kind of Russia turning Belarus into a vassal state, a place in which, mm-hmm. you know, Belarusian troops are part of Russian troops or subservient to Russian troops or at least part of the armed forces. And the second mm-hmm. is the border between Belarus and Ukraine, roughly where they were training in the largest military exercise since the Cold War, is about 100 miles from Kiev. So you put this together with the independence recognition, quote unquote, of these republics, and you're seeing Putin have forces in place and setting pretexts to send forces into Ukraine. So they are not necessarily of the same political issue, but they are part of the same invasion issue. And the Belarusian president, do we get the sense that this is what he wants to be doing? This is fascinating because he has for years been playing the West and Putin off of each other. He's always Mm -hmm. friendly with mostly Putin, I should say. But for reasons that are kind of hard to discern, he's taken this very hard turn and, you know, hugging Putin, saying, you're, you know, we're great friends. Oh, totally. It's the West that's being belligerent in Ukraine. Yes, you can keep your troops here. Who knows if Putin sort of or someone else behind the scenes was like, hey, do this or else. You know, Belarus depends a lot on Russia, and Lukashenko has been under siege, let's say, politically, after a fraudulent election that everyone has called out. And there are tons of people still parading in the streets against him, and it's been a very harsh crackdown. So maybe this is, you know, he's like, hey, Putin, help me out. And Putin goes, in exchange, please let Mm -hmm. me keep my troops in Belarus, not only indefinitely, but as a staging ground 
for an invasion in Ukraine. So does he want to? I don't know. I'm not in his head, but it goes against his sort of years of actions. But in more recent days or weeks and months, follows a trend of him being very friendly with Putin. Interesting. So as you outlined, we know from Putin's address to the nation on Monday and the events of the past couple of weeks that the conversation has really shifted from if Russia is going to invade to how Russia will invade. So what are those options? So there are four options that Putin could choose to do right now. One, of course, is no invasion. That looks very unlikely. So the other three are invasion scenarios. One is he starts in from eastern Ukraine and moves westward. There are reports as of Monday night that he has already sent some troops in because he has set up a peacekeeping mission, quote unquote, to help out in this supposed war that Ukraine is waging on the so-called Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. Uh, However, interestingly, you know, just got off the phone with a senior administration official who said that it's not guaranteed necessarily, or at least didn't say that a Russian invasion of the Donbass, that region, would count as an invasion because Russian troops have been there for eight years. And so that might not lead to the large sanctions that they've been teasing for some time. Mm. The other scenario is that the Russian troops that have been doing a military exercise in Belarus, roughly 30,000 of them, will stream down from that Belarusian-Ukraine border, which mm-hmm. is only about 100 miles away from Kiev, and they will make it all the way to the capital city and you know try to raise it. That will, of course, lead to massive fighting back from the Ukrainians, and you could expect a lot of resistance and some nasty urban fighting, but that is that scenario. Then there is the scenario of going from the Black Sea and building a land bridge to Transnistria and Moldova, which is a, a Russian-backed breakaway region of that mm-hmm. country. And that would provide Russia to send all kinds of materials as they would like. Now, Putin doesn't have to choose just one of them. He could choose all three or two or one. Uh, Of course, also none, but that doesn't seem likely. If you talk to U.S. officials, they'll tell you the most likely scenario is the full-on invasion option, which means basically all three of those options at once and take as much Ukrainian territory as they can before anyone tries to stop them with other moves. And so what are the expected responses from the West? It depends a bit, right? So initially, after Putin did that, the Biden administration announced that there would soon be an executive order that would bar trade investment from anyone really who does anything with those people's republics. It's a bit toothless because there's just not that much investment in like in America and the Donbass or people in Europe and the Donbass. I mean, there is. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's not going to do anything. It is going to do something. But it's, you know, very little. And the administration signaled it as, okay, but this is not the big thing that we're planning to do with our allies should there be an invasion. So really, I think it was more of a warning shot by the U.S. going, hey, guys, you know, fine. It's not great that you did this, but, like, if you do it and we impose a few sanctions, maybe we all walk away from this, you know, kind of okay. But then... (laughs) Putin signed an order saying that he would be sending a peacekeeping force, quote unquote, into those so-called people's republics to protect them from this supposed Ukraine assault, which is not happening. Mm, Yeah. So that could mean within hours when we're taping this or by the time people listening to this are listening to it, there could be actual Russian troops inside of Ukraine as a quote unquote peacekeeping force which could then be the large-scale invasion of Ukraine, which, if the administration sees it that way, 
would trigger the massive mother of all sanctions that is coordinated between the U.S. and its Western allies, mainly in Europe. Mm -hmm. I do think we should step back for a moment and realize what is actually happening here. You have the president of Russia making a case for why an invasion of Ukraine is legitimate. Now, it's not, right? It's a, it's a case based on pretext. It's a case based on his years of, of animosity towards the West and his hatred that the Soviet Union collapsed and his belief that the Ukrainians aren't a real people, that they belong to Russia. That is what we're seeing here. And Western efforts, U.S.-led Western efforts, French efforts, German efforts, didn't work. This is just a guy who is set on making this move. Now, could this change? Of course, the situation is extremely fluid. Maybe the U.S. floats a deal. Maybe France floats a deal. Maybe Putin is bluffing. But if that's the case, it's the most convincing bluff I've ever seen, and it seems hard to walk back. This seems like the moment where the order we sort of all knew after the Cold War comes to an end, where Russia has finally said, no more, we are changing the status quo by force, and they're going to start with Ukraine. And I guess I don't want to minimize that this is a horrifically historic moment. Um, one that I think we'll all remember for worse for years to come. Alex Ward, thank you so much for talking with me. Always great to be here. Wish it were under better pretenses. Also today, tech billionaire Larry Ellison gave a massive $15 million donation to a super PAC aligned with South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott in January, one of the biggest political donations of the 2022 election cycle so far. Scott's growing support from Ellison and other mega donors has stirred speculation about a potential bid for president in the future. And Politico analyzed U.S. government data and found that more than 3,000 hospitalized patients each week in January caught COVID sometime during their stay. The Omicron variant propelled the worst rates of hospital transmission during the pandemic, and 38 out of the 40 worst days recorded occurred in 2022, according to Politico's analysis, which calculated data through February 14th. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>